MP, it's our final event of the year. Oh, it's all a bit sad, Bretto, but after four big events for 2018, we are going out with a bang with one more wellness base camp, and the location for this one is regional Victoria, the great town of Bendigo awaits. Oh, and how's this for a lineup, MP? Bendigo will be rocking with the rock star of wellness, Damien Christoph. The art of self-love angel herself, Kim Morrison, hits the stage. As will the natural nutritionist, Steph Lowe. And I'll tell you what, Steph's presentation at the summit on fasting was a showstopper. You'll be there, Bretto. I'll be there too. And Wendy Stewart from Wendy's Way will be there to share her inspirational story, which really did go off at the Wellness Summit earlier this year. It's Saturday, October 27 at the beautiful All Seasons Resort Hotel in Bendigo and tickets are selling fast. Two for one tickets for this one day of inspiration, information and empowerment are available at thewellnessbasecamp.com. That's right, folks. Get your two-for-one tickets at thewellnessbasecamp.com before they run out and then the price goes up. Finish your year of wellness in style at The Wellness Base Camp in Bendigo, Saturday, October 27. Tickets at thewellnessbasecamp.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up For A Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, Up For A Chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. Well, it was my turn. I'm, I'm Cindy O'Meara. <laughs> How long have we been doing these, Cindy? Oh, my God. It was just, it was so silent. And I went, oh, shoot, is it my turn? Have I forgot? Have I missed something? <laughs> and like I said to you, my body might be back, but my head isn't. <laughs> well, and that's a fair call too. We are so glad you're home. Australia is not the same without you. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> so our beautiful Cindy has just come home from her amazing trip with our Up For A Chatters and previous hikers to, um, to Africa. So we thought this is a perfect opportunity for her to share how that all went, what she did. Did she see the lions, the tigers and the bears? <laughs> and did she get dirty? And am I glad I didn't go? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness the photos look amazing guys if you are not following um well actually Cindy you've got to put all those photos on the up for a chat page all right okay I will all right I'll do yeah. that I'll, I'll, I'll put them up when we when this goes to air um yeah. and plus I did record an hour with our beautiful um people that came with me um we were um in the middle of Botswana and I said to them, come on, let's do an up for a chat and let's talk about your experiences and what you've learnt. Because in something like that, you, you can't leave it without being affected or changed in some way or think about your life um, as it is in Australia compared to where you sit when you see the lives of these amazing um, people. Yeah. So tell us about... Tell us about you know, the, the, from the moment it started, like where did you guys all meet up? And because there were some new people that haven't hiked with us or hiked with us before. Yeah, so, most definitely. They, yeah, there were all but Debbie and Jim basically had never really hiked with us. Yeah, um, wow. So Debbie and Jim, De, and Deb and I 
we both realised it's just her and I have done all three hikes now. So we've done South America, New Zealand and Africa. So, um, yeah, we're very proud of ourselves. So I said to her, we're going to have to come to Europe. I'm sorry. I was just about to say, does that mean she's confirmed for Europe? Well, she's not confirmed yet, but him, her and Jim are talking about it. So um, we'll... She has to. She's family. She's hiking family. She's definitely family, that girl. I just oh, yeah. love her. You fall in love. Totally. That's what happens. You just... You meet these amazing people and we all cried basically when we left each other. And there were some people who just did a quick goodbye because they didn't want to cry in front of us. And, yeah, you just become very close. You know, you've got to think about it. We were with each other 24 hours a day, seven days a week for two weeks basically. And we, um, we all slept in the same area. We had, you know, we were in small planes together for a lot of the time. We were, you know, on safari, we were hiking, um, we were in lodges, we ate together, breakfast, lunch and dinner. And it's really interesting. No one really wanted to communicate with anybody outside outside our group. It was rare for someone to start communicating with somebody else in a lodge. Um, We just stuck with each other. It was a very tight-knit group that um, we got to know each other really well in, in every way, you know, even our bowel movements. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because to be so tight-knit, like right from the very beginning, mm. that always amazes me. And I know I'm kind of going to go off on a tangent here, but that always amazes me how, you know, when people are reliant on each other or they're um, all in a... a striving towards a common purpose, how that can create almost like its own little insular community where, you know, you're all so connected right from the word go, considering nobody really knew anybody other than you, Mm. isn't it? Yeah, exactly. You know, even, yeah, it is. It is is quite amazing. But, you know, I have to tell you the first two nights for me, Um, when we arrived because I felt very much um, alone without you two. I really missed you and and I felt like everything was on me. That's what I felt like for the first two nights and so I don't get anxiety at all but I had um, a little bit of an empty feeling in the pit of my stomach and I had been attacked by my rooster uh, like the day before and I had these huge rooster marks from its talons on my leg and that was becoming infected and I was a little bit concerned about that. And I woke and because you don't sleep well in those first few nights because you're getting, you know, it's a complete time change. So I had this little bit of a feeling. But as, you know, as each day passed and every night passed, I became more and more comfortable and, um, I, you know, and I knew I could do it. But, you know, it's, it's the unknown. You're in um, a country across the other side of the world. You're in a developing country. You're not even in, you know, a major city. Like New Zealand was easy, I felt. Peru was, I had you too. But we were in, you know, places where, I remember we we got to Fish Canyon. So, all right, so you asked me where did we all um, meet up. So we all met up in um, South Africa in Johannesburg Airport. So we had people coming from Tanzania, other people coming from, um, another flight and then a group of us actually met in Sydney and flew across to Joburg. So we all really met up in that airport 
Um, and we flew to um, a place called Windhoek, which is the capital of Namibia. And then from Windhoek, we were put on a small plane. And for many, this was their first flight on a little plane. So all of a sudden, they were being challenged with, number one, they had to um, believe and trust the pilot. Um, and that's a thing we will be talking about, the trusting of the pilot. But we had to believe and trust in the pilot. Um, but we were so fortunate because it was a good flight. It wasn't too windy. Um, the, the, the landscape was something primitive in Namibia. It's just an amazing landscape. Um, and what it is is red deserts, white deserts, stony deserts, sandy deserts, and mountain ranges. Um, it's, it's just a phenomenal landscape. So, you know, we got to our first landing, which was Fish River Canyon, and it was a really hard landing. Like we landed and then it was like we hit something and um, then we kept going. And I kept looking at the wing and I'm thinking, what's hanging off that wing? <laughs> we hit a tree. That was all. That was that little bit of a bump. We hit a tree. And, what are you um, saying? <laughs> I know. I know. This is and you know, you all we could say is this is Africa. <laughs> are you Serious? I'm very serious. We hit a tree and we lost part of the wing. <laughs> I cannot believe what you're telling me. I know. And at the end of the runway is a cliff. So oh, it's, Cindy. It's Fish Canyon at the end of the runway. And I'm trying to, I'm looking at it and I think it's grass, but it's actually electrics hanging. So it's electrics hanging because the wing's been taken off or part of the wing's been taken off and then there's these electrics. So, and and the really funny thing was is that we're all looking at it on the left-hand side of the plane going, hmm, I wonder, I wonder if she knows what's happened. This is the pilot. She's a 26-year-old pilot with a 23-year-old 20, um, co-pilot. Oh, dear. You know? And a good pilot, <laughs> nothing wrong. It's just this tree just came out of nowhere. <laughs> anyway, she got out of the plane and ignored it and walked right past it and ignored it. And we're all thinking, well, in our own minds, nobody's saying anything at this point. We're all thinking in our own minds, did she, did she realise a bit of the wing's been taken off? So anyway, we got out and we're all taking photos. <laughs> and the poor girl, she was far from us. And I just, I said something to her about the wing and I went, well, what happened? And she just went, oh, I'll look at it later. And she ran away. Anyway, we found out later that she knew she'd hit it. Um, and she said to the co-pilot, who we got to know really well, his name was MC, we got to know him really well. She said to the pilot, she goes, whatever you do, don't look startled, don't even look at it, but I just hit a tree. <laughs> but they gaffetaped. Did you not actually feel it? Oh, yeah, you felt it, yeah. So they gaffetaped it. Wait for it, they gaffetaped it so... They bought a pop rivet and they pop rivet the little part of the plane back on, the wing back on, and then they gaffer taped it. So we saw it and we took photos of it. But the engineer and the two pilots flew that back to Windhoek and we got a new plane and a new pilot. So, yeah, it was, it was really cool, really cool. So we got this beautiful pilot by the name of Chief. And what a beautiful man, 23 years of age, carrying all of us around Namibia and all the way um, to our next destination, which was Zimbabwe. So this was, um, you didn't have to drive anywhere. We flew everywhere. So little tiny airstrips, we would go into a lodge 
um, and beautiful lodges, like um, uh, just amazing lodges all through Namibia and seeing the landscape of Namibia and being in awe of where humans came from. This is where we started from, where Neanderthals started from, where Homo sapiens started from is we started from this area of Africa. That's what they've, you know, that's what modern science today believes is it, it started there. And the feeling of it, you know, I have a, a really lovely pull towards Namibia, so I knew what I was going to, but everybody just absolutely enjoyed it. Um, I was very fortunate uh, and we all were fortunate to meet an Australian man who was at Sisiflay Desert Lodge. He was not only interested in geology, archaeology, but also the stars. And so we were fortunate to spend some time under the stars with him. And he had this huge laser pointer. And um, he pointed out all the constellations. He talked about the enormity of the sky. And so it was really good at the beginning of our trip to you know, understand the sky because we looked at that sky every night. There was no television. There was no Wi-Fi. There was no communication with the outside world except every now and then. And um, I know people have seen photos when we got to an airport and we found out we had 10 minutes of Wi-Fi <laughs> and we all, everyone's on their phones, you know, connecting with loved ones saying we're all okay, we're doing well, you know. So we had this enormity of the sky and then he took us on a bit of an archaeological dig um, and we, you know, we found um, tools, we found parts of clay pots, we found paintings of um, shamans, of animals, of couples, of, you know, which were thousands of years old, depicting stories. So, you know, this is, this is, it, it, and it also, it also gave you, um, a real understanding of our history. You know, like Australia has a 200-year history. And I know that our Australian Aboriginal people, you know, their history is far greater in this land. But we've not been taught that. We've not been taught that 100,000-plus years, you know, I think some people say it's 65,000 years, some say it's 40,000, and others say it's 100-and-something thousand years. We don't know their history. We're not given that when we do Australian history. But... In Namibia, you know, it's staring you in the face everywhere you walk. There are tools, there are paintings, there are, you know, the, the ancient landscapes. So we, um, we, we walked down Fish Canyon, which was um, a 17-kilometre walk, and this is second to the Grand Canyon. But what I noticed is that while the Grand Canyon still has greenery and water and has all of that, this is empty with just some pools down the bottom. And in the rainy season, there'll be more. But, you know, I was expecting the Grand Canyon. And so as I'm walking through this amazing landscape where you could see where great waterfalls were and great rivers and um, you could see the history of the place. And I actually wrote on my Instagram, I actually said, this didn't change because of what man has done. This is just the ebb and flow of the world. This is, this is what changed it. We had nothing to do with this being a great canyon with greenery and water and, and, and waterfalls and river systems and canyons. This was not us. This was somebody else. And sometimes I wonder if we're a bit megalomaniacs when it comes to climate change. Are we 
part of what's anyway going to happen anyway? Or, you know, is it, you know, do we just go through these ice ages and these warm periods? You know, we've only been affecting the planet for what, 30, 40, 50 years, maybe? Maybe that? I don't know. So there's an incredible documentary yeah. on Gaia.com, G A I A, by, and it's done by um, Dr. Greg Braden. It's called Missing Links. And it is brilliant, Cindy. You would love it. I'm going I'm I'm to watch it because he talks about that. He talks about how they've taken core samples in the snow, in the ice, so that, and, and the, these samples go, you know, hundreds of miles down. And they take these core samples so they can see the different kinds of ice and, you know, the period and all of that sort of stuff. And they've created a graph where they actually show that the earth has been way hotter and the earth has been way colder before than what it is now. And it actually shows the cycles mm. and they're saying that the whole global, global warming um, conversation is contrived because it's politically known that we've been here, done that, you know, plenty of times before and it's all just part of mm. the cycle of life. It's it's absolutely amazing. I think it's in there's I think there's about ten or fifteen episodes, but I think it's in the third episode. They actually show the core samples, where they show the different ages. Well, you, you know, in Australia, we feel I feel that we're so isolated in our thinking in every way from you know about this climate change thing and whether we are the main things. Like I know we are doing a terrible job of you know, being custodians of this planet. Um, but I know that, that planet Earth will survive. After seeing what I've seen, they will survive. We may not, but planet Earth will. And she will figure it out and she will know what to do. And if we can stop maybe doing what we're doing, then we might survive. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worried about the planet after seeing Namibia and seeing... The, the change in, in what is happening. But, you know, we, we walk down Fisher Canyon through, like, Virgin Islands. Sorry, Kim. Oh, I was just going to say, um, if you ever have seen the images of what Chernobyl looks like now, um, since I think it was the mid-'80s that that happened in Chernobyl and if you look at it now the way mother nature has come back you would you would actually be surprised and incredibly delighted at the way in which she has recovered so I agree with you that and what you're saying Karen is it true then girls what this whole thing about global warming you've just touched on it what are your thoughts then around it being contrived and political and and all of those things or is there really something to be said for all the emissions um, Toxic-wise, environmentally, and all of those things—is there a bit of both? I believe it's a bit of both, Kim. I don't think it's just um, solely us. I believe that the planet is always doing the cycles. Exactly what Karen said. I'm actually going to go watch watch Missing Links because I love Dr. Greg Braden. I have heard him do a talk on it, but I didn't realize he had a an amazing documentary on it. So oh, it's fantastic. He oh. talks about so many different things that make you go, are you kidding? I actually, I put a link up on Facebook after I'd watched it and I thought, oh, for goodness sake, if we all watch this and it's actual evidence, it's not his opinion. It's just evidence-based. 
Mm. And when you watch it, you're like, oh, for goodness sake, what have I been worried about? It, it literally, it just takes all the, all the pressure out but makes you ask completely different questions. Mm. It's definitely worth it. Yeah, like, yeah, I, I don't know if we've got um, an answer except as individuals. You know, we have to think about what we're doing. And, you know, that was really hard. When we were in Africa, you know, bottled water is what we're told to drink. Don't drink the water, drink bottled water. I really struggled with it because at home I do not buy plastic water bottles. I don't, I, you know, I have my canister um, that I use and I put my filtered water in it or wherever I can I fill up. And if I'm in a place where um, I can't fill up, I'll actually fill up from a, if I'm hiking, I'll fill up from a stream and put my iodine in there. So I'm very much against the plastic um, bottles. But we had to drink it. And what was really interesting is in Namibia after Fish Canyon, we went to a place called Wolverdans. And Wolverdans is um, a private reserve and there's a, a village that houses about 80, 70 to 80 people, 20 are students. And, um, and um, what happens is that these um, students are learning about uh, sustainable agriculture about living in the desert, about looking after four lodges. So there are four lodges um, on the reserve. We stayed in one of them, which was just stunning. Uh, and anyway, we went down to the village and what they're doing is they're filling these plastic water, bo water bottles that they use in the four um, desert lodges. They're using these plastic water bottles. They fill them with sand and then they create um, houses with them. So it's just stunning. I took photos of it because I was just absolutely stunned by what they're doing with plastic water bottles. They're actually making houses for the village. This village also has an amazing market garden, amazing herb garden, all covered with wire because, you know, this is desert. This is red sand desert. You cannot grow anything in that. So what they've done is that they've created the soil from um, worm castings and from... Um, food that is not eaten. Um, they have pigs that eat the meat um, and any other wastes. They have a cow. Well, they're getting a cow. They hadn't had the cow and they're making a chicken coop at the moment. But everything is covered and they grow all the food for, the, um, for all the camps or all the lodges. They also are allowed to um, have wild games. So um, not for the vegans, but for the meaters. <laughs> they did kudu, they did oryx, they did crocodile, they did ostrich. So, you know, we, we had a typical meal that, that um, the Namibians would eat, which is a spinach, maize and a, a wild meat. So we learnt so much. 85% of what they use in energy is solar. So they're only using about 50%, 15% is diesel um, generators, but 85% of all of these, the village and the four resorts is all solar. The water comes from an underground um, lake, so they pump that up and they use that water. Uh, it's, just, it's, just, it's just, and everything is in canvas and wood, if it's not in those plastic bottles, it's in canvas and wood because their thing is, is if we disappear, it will just go back to the planet. So there's no 
you know, there's nothing else. It's all, it's just, it just shows you what we can do in a desert. It, it shows you the ingenuity of humans and how they can survive in a desert that has no water, has no grass, you know, except for the animals to eat. So, and then we went on a bushwalk with the uh, sand people, the sand bushwalk, the bushmen, and oh, the things they showed us about food, about nature. You know, they had this spider that weaves this web under the sand. And they showed us it's like silk. I was like, it's just phenomenal what I learnt um, and what we all learnt. Um, we did a drumming session at Wolverdans as well. And that drumming session goes to your very heart and it's the most spiritual experience. So 10 people beating a drum, two knowing what they're doing, the other of us knowing nothing, <laughs> no idea what we were doing. But by the end of it, we were, I can't imagine what it sounded like to people or animals in the desert, you know, because there was no other people around but us um, beating those drums. So, yeah, that Namibia was um, amazing. Cindy, do you think with what you learnt with the, um, you've just said that you're in the middle of a desert and yet they're incredibly resourceful and obviously have learnt how to deal with major droughts. Is there anything that our Australian farmers could learn from this is this something that we've lost touch with through um tradition and and culture and evolution of of humans ability to survive is there something we're missing here in our hot country well they you know they can't grow agriculture there's they could not do broad you know broad acre farming there's just no way they just don't have the rainfall they don't have the soils so as far as broadacre farming goes, and what was really cool is that one of um, the couples owns a broadacre farm in the Western Australian region, and we had many conversations about, you know, what could be done, um, you know, in Australia to change that versus um, Botswana is, is, is trying to go broadacre farming, not Namibia, but Botswana, and... Um, and that's going to be scary, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. But what we saw was a village looking after itself. So it could be a community garden, a community that can do this, or individuals can do it. So we can all grow our own foods. We can all use solar. We, you know, our water supply could be tanked. So we, we could learn from that. They were doing it as a community. 70 people plus guests and, you know, like our village, our lodge that we were in probably could have housed 20, 20, 30 people at the most, no more. Um, And I know we were in one of the larger ones. It was another one that would have, can only house about 10. And then there were another two. So let's say that it's a community of 150, maybe 160 people. And they were able to do it um, in that village. So, I think we can do it as individuals. We can look at our own land and go, well, can I put a greenhouse in? Can I grow all my lettuces and my herbs and my tomatoes and, you know, my cucumbers and my peppers and everything like that? And we can. We actually can do this. But we live a different lifestyle to them. Theirs is, their lifestyle is very simple. They don't have the trappings that we have where, you know, you know one of the girls – you know, she lives in Sydney, um, married with two small children. 
um, that traveled with us. Both of them are a double income, you know, they're a double income family because of their mortgage because they live in a very expensive um, area of the country of Australia. And, you know, I could see her going, why do we live in this, this, this rat race of doing what we're doing um, and, and keeping up with everything that we do? You know, this is when you start to question what we're doing and what we need here and how we need it and, um, and, and can we simplify our life and can we create a veggie garden and can we spend more time doing that? So to answer your question, Kim, I think there's a lot we can learn from Wolverdance. Um, if anybody wants to look up my Instagram, which is changing underscore habits, I talk about Wolverdowns. So you can just go through my pictures and you'll see a picture of an amazing leather chair and a stunning red landscape with a huge mountain range in the background. So that's Wolverdowns. And, you know, they're teaching, they're trying to teach the people that visit them, which is usually their guests, that this is possible, that we, we can make some changes in our life and we can do this. And I'm just trying to think what else they did at Wolverdown. So they had the gardens, they had the solar, they had the pigs, they're getting chickens and cow in to, to have milk. Um, the pigs are there to eat the, all the scraps, you know, all the food scraps. Nothing goes to waste, not, not a thing. So, yeah, they're very, I don't think they have any rubbish. It's all recyclable, everything they do. So, yeah, it was... Um, quite an experience. It sounds amazing. Tell me the absolute highlight yeah. of, um, of each place or is there an absolute thing that will just be in your hearts, do you think, forevermore? You know what? I really believe that meeting um, Paul Russell, and we're going to have Paul um, on up for chat when he comes back to Australia. So here's a man that lives in Kenilworth, just down the road. <laughs> he has an organic farm. Um, and I, I don't think he'd mind me speaking about him, but he was uh, horticultural. He taught horticulture at TAFE. He taught farmers how to use chemicals safely. And he went to uh, Nambour TAFE and he said, we need to change what we're teaching. We need to teach sustainability. We need to teach... You know, how can we do things naturally with um, using entomology, with um, pests and using um, different things and our view on weeds. So his, he went to TAFE Nambour and said, this is what I want to do. And um, TAFE basically said to him, there'll be no industry that will fund this or will endorse this. So, no, we're not doing it. He, I, I don't know the time scale, but he then was diagnosed with throat cancer and for two years went through chemo, radiation, everything. Um, took him two years to recover and then had an epiphany that he wasn't going to continue to do what he's doing. And instead he goes and volunteers his time um, at Susaflay Desert Lodge. Um, they just give him his board and he does a two-hour talk every night about the stars and you know we just started talking to him and we realized that his love for um, archaeology and geology and so I asked him to take me on a walk um, and there were three of us that went at 6 a.m in the morning so we left before the, the sun got up and 
it was a very spiritual experience because we realized it was a huge community um, thousands of years ago that lived where the where the um, Susa Play Desert Lodge is. And not many people would have experienced that because if, unless you talk and ask him, then you're never going to know that this is what he, he does as a love. So um, whilst um, I just thought that that was an opportunity that I didn't want to miss, so I got to learn a lot about him. So, you know, he, um, I think he was a big highlight to me because he just said, I'm not doing what I'm, this anymore. I'm going to do what I love. Um, and I'm going to, you know, he's been to Namibia a couple of times and it all was, it, it's, it's like, you know, manifesting. He just went, this is what I want to do. And then somebody said, hey, there's a job in Namibia. They want somebody to do the stars. This guy, you know, that's his love and his, his knowledge. <laughs> and he, he ended up there. He put it out to the planet and he ended up there. And I, I guess I want to tell you another story about one of the girls that we um, were with. Um, and this is the same girl that lives in Sydney, you know, double income, two, two kids, mortgage, you know, doing everything. And she said, I, I, I want to change in my career. And I said, well, what do you want to do? And she says, I don't know. And I says, well, if you don't know, how's the universe going to know and deliver it to you? You know, so I said, if you perfectly do know. Said, perfectly said. I was channeling you, Karen. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> but I did. I said, how is the universe going to know what you to do if you don't even know what you want to do? So I said, if you did know, what would you do? And she said, well, I love, she, so she has her pairs. She's got, she's had 13 au pairs and she just loves it. She, you could tell she loves teaching them. She loves taking them from their family and showing them how to, you know, get a, not get away but extract themselves from their mothers maybe because they're girls and become independent because, you know, girls become very dependent on their mothers. So she, they're from other countries, like she has two at the moment, Italy and Germany. You know, she's having a changeover. So she said, I want to teach all au pairs, what I'm teaching my au pairs. I said, well, that sounds good. And so then we got into the detail and the nitty-gritty and how could we do it and what could we do? And we really talked about it like you wouldn't believe. Anyway, as soon as I got back to Australia, I'm in Sydney and I'm scrounging for an Australian, you know, the, the um, paper, the Australian. And it's so funny when I say, oh, do you have an Australian on board? I, I said this at Qantas and they, she looked at me and she went, we've probably got a lot of Australians on board. And I went, no, the paper. <laughs> paper. I want the Australian paper. Oh, that's hilarious. It was funny. It was <laughs> So anyway, I, I found the Weekend Australian and on the front page, you are not going to believe this, front page. So we had only talked about it 48, maybe three days before, probably before the paper came out, but obviously you know how the universe works, you know, there was something in the wind. Front page of the Australian, let me read it to you. Busy families choose to go au pair shaped. So it's all about families not using childcare anymore, but going to um, au pairs. And it basically gives you childcare versus au pairs. So childcare is $1,250 a week per, per, per kid. An au pair costs you $305 a week 
um, for three kids, you know. So it doesn't matter how many kids you've got, your APA is going to cost you $305 a week plus board plus family, you know. It's, it's an experience. The flexibility, the childcare is open eight to six and if you're not there on, on time, then there are penalties. Whereas your au pair is available 40 hours a week, you know, anytime you really want them. Um, the regulations with childcare in Australia are huge. It's heavily regulated. Um, whereas an au pair, it's not so regulated. So um, she, she, I just couldn't believe it. So I took a photo of it and I sent it to her straight away and I went, see, ask the universe, look what gets delivered. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. It was, it was, yeah, it was, I just looked at it and I went, when have I ever seen that on the front page of an Australian paper? Never. I think those sorts of coinkydinks are just like you were saying before we even got on the show. It's just like such an amazing confirmation and a message. And I think if we're not looking, we don't see them. But I know, I know um, our beautiful person that you are talking to and goodness me, she would be just perfect for that kind of work and I've often thought she's got such a big personality and so much brightness in her soul that she can really do something that lights up people's lives in a really major way and she's so clever like mm. such a such a clever woman um so did she have you heard back from her yet or about no I, I haven't I, I texted at midnight last night away oh, right. so I just texted at midnight last night because I you know, I never had a chance before that. Um, but, and she had to work today. I said to her as we got off the plane, what were you thinking working Monday? And she said, well, I only just started with them. And then I took two weeks off. So I thought I'd better start Monday. So <laughs> I know she was working all day. So yeah. I don't expect to hear from her until she get, gets time, you know, to get up and take a breath and probably have a few sleeps. So, um, but she, I, you know, it'll at least get her thinking that oh my goodness. she can change, you know. And how beautiful that a place like Africa is able to inspire people mm. to really, and I guess that's that's the point of it, isn't it? I mean, with that fellow that's now doing the work that he's doing there mm. and, you know, our friend thinking about that, you know, there's nothing. Africa just has, so for me, for our listeners, I'm sure most of you guys know, but I'm South African, so I was born there. Um, I left when I was seven and went back when I was 14, but I haven't been back since then but all my family still is there. Um, but it's got such a, such a profound energy there that I'm not the least bit surprised that, Cindy, you felt like a kinship there or, a, you know, like a, a past life almost there. And, you know, it's causing people to actually look at themselves, look at their lives and question, what am I doing? What am I doing putting myself through so much agony and angst? What are my options? Because life is far too short to spend it suffering or doing things that we don't enjoy or we don't love. Like there's got to be a better way. And I love that Africa and your trip to Africa has inspired that. Was, did anybody else have conversations like that? Like was anybody else feeling like well, I know. there was more calling them? Yeah, you know, I think it's it's for people who are open to it. You know, one of the um, girls, <laughs> I just watched her with awe. She just took every task, um, everything on in her stride and 
she, I just, I just loved watching her more than anything. And I said, I've actually recorded an hour in Botswana with the whole crew. And I say that to her, I just said, you know, you didn't, there was, didn't matter what was happening, whether she was hot, because, you know, we had zero degrees all the way up to, I reckon it was 35, 40 degrees. It's just the extremes of the desert. And, you know, the rooms were freezing, um, especially our tented rooms. <laughs> and you had to get up at 5.30 in the morning to go on a game drive or on a hike or something like that. And she just took it in her stride. And she was in her 60s. And I was in awe of her. And, and she also, she has, she has this place called the Lady Cave. And she was always talking about her Lady Cave, where she goes in her Lady Cave. So she must, you know, she has her home in Melbourne. And then in Neil Wilson's Promontory, she has the Lady Cave and, and what she puts in her Lady Cave and what, you know, I just, there was something about her that um, just put awe into me. So that was really cool. And then another person who is very spiritual and very, um, wow, um, I don't know, she feels things. Like we'll be walking along. I got to tell you, the amount of orbs in our photos is phenomenal. Like scary, phenomenal. And you know what I'm talking about when I talk about orbs, you two? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I have I have taken this photo, and it's towards. um, We're on the Zimbabwe. uh, We're in Zimbabwe. We're on the Zambezi River, um, and we're on a cruise. It's. There are eagles around us. There are hippos, crocodiles. So everything is around us. And I take a picture at this hippo just going down and there's this green fleck um, in my photo. It's got six dots in it. Um, The next photo I take, and it could have been ages later, is I take a photo of everybody on the boat. That green orb is sitting right on this very spiritual girl. Six dots. I don't know how it got there. I have no idea, but it's there. So that was one. Then we had another incident in another place um, and we, we took a photo and, you know, you could say that it's just dust reflecting, but I don't know. I, I have to show you this photo, Karen, but... It's just a thousand orbs to me. But then, you know, then um, it could have been the dust, but it just seems really weird, this picture, because we took it from one angle and we could see them. Actually, I think I've seen that photo on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, it's really weird. Very weird. I did see that. I'm springing it up now. (laughs) Yeah. So, look, it could be dust and somebody could just explain it as dust, but I I want them to explain these little green dots everywhere. Um, and, and the different classifications of the dots. So some had six dots on it, uh, oh. on the green. Yeah. And some were, they looked like different photos, but they looked exactly the same, but maybe it was just, I don't know. I look, I don't know if it's real or not, but it was pretty freaky. All the orbs that ended up in our, in all of our photos, because if you think the history, but the oh, history yeah. here in Australia too, but if you think of the you know, millions of years of history in Africa. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. So, yeah, she, she had a lot of spiritual experiences, especially when we saw the shaman. So we saw a, 
um, a painting of a shaman um, and it was in blood, um, I oh. believe the blood of an animal that the shaman was put in and they, they've aged it at thousands of years old. But it's blood and other things so it stays on the rock. Um, and then she had quite an experience. There was a, a, a house that was made of rock that just the light outline of it was still there. And so she sat in that uh, for quite some time. Um, and we might get her on and she can talk about her experience um, if she wants to, yeah. what, what happened to her in this um, house that she sat in. Um, yeah. <laughs> Mm, really, and the and the the really cool thing was was when we went looking for animals, um, and she, you know, and I'm not going to say her name because I don't know whether she's going to come on or not. Yeah, but yeah. she has done some shamanic work. She's done a lot of drumming. She's really feels a pull to Namibia, and um, even Botswana. She had that pull, and. Um, she was actually asking for animals to show up. And now I put animals on my Instagram and Safari Frank, who are, who did the whole experience for us, who have spent a lot of time in Botswana and a lot of time in Namibia and in, in Africa, they were freaking out at the, at the photos that we got of animals, of cubs, of the Cyril, Cyril, was it called? The Cyril, Cyril, Cervel, the Cervel. It's a cat. S-E-R-V-A-L. So they were blown away that we saw a Savelle um, and we saw two kills. And I know you don't like that. Oh, wow. We saw two. We had um, we saw a, a buffalo and a zebra. That is very rare. Very rare. Like the guy said to us, most people wouldn't even see this if they were on an eight-day game drive. No, that's exactly right. Yeah. And we, were, we did three nights and... Um, two full days and two half days. So three basic day, full days of game driving and um, three nights. And we had lions roaring. We had an elephant walk through our camp. Uh, <laughs> was, wow. We saw meerkats. We saw, we saw just so much, you know, and it was quite amazing being within 10 metres of two male lions fighting for the, the, the dregs oh. of the buffalo. Oh my you know, god! Screaming at each other, you know. Yeah, yeah, it was like a tug of war. One would take it one way, and then the other one take it, and then the dominant one kept it. And then we'd watch females creeping, like they do, like an inch at a time. And then you'd see them starting to chew, and then the male lion would see them and roar at them. And you know, it's just phenomenal, you know. So I recommend that if anybody um, in Australia or anywhere around the world want to go on safari that they ring safari frank because they did a fantastic job um of planning our trip planning what we did everything went to plan everything it was the person was there to greet us there was never a hiccup everything was done beautifully um you know we had dietary requirements they dealt with our dietary requirements and yeah, it was in the end, we just said to them, we want to eat your food, meat and veg. That's it. Um, because they, they're starting to do Western food. They started to do oh, muffins yeah. that were made from cake mixes and cakes that were made from cake mixes. And we just said, we don't want it. We just want your food. Just cook us your food. And um, they soon learned, you know, if we were with them for a, a while, how to, to feed us. 
<laughs> so wow. And so did you try the Biltong and the Cook Sisters and the Societies and the yeah. Fit Cook? And... Yeah. Yeah, it all. We oh. ate it all. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Just all those traditional beautiful foods. Yeah, yeah, that's your home. Yeah. And and the good thing is we knew everything was pretty clean because they don't poison. Yeah. Um and that's what I was going to talk to you about. You know, I um we were in Botswana and we <laughs> our first town you know we hadn't seen a town in a while and there was a shop and we all just went boof into the shop we all bought food you know it was so funny and um i saw a magazine and it was called agriculture botswani and agriculture i think it was called and so i bought it for our broad acre farmer so i got it into the we were using a vehicle to get to our next place and we had about two hours to drive so i gave him um I gave it to him and, you know, we had a discussion after he'd read the magazine and he said, you know, Botswana wants to be like us. They want to do broadacre farming. They want to do modern agricultural methods. And he said, it's really sad because they're going to end up just like us and we're in a mess. You know, we're, we're between a rock and a hard place. We don't know where it's going to stop. You know, land care doesn't want us to till. We have to use chemicals if we're not tilling. Um, and Roundup is what we use, you know. That's what's used because of the stopping of the tilling. So he said, you know, your expenses, the chemicals go up. Um, he, he was brilliant. I, I learned so much from him. And, and the fact that him and his wife have changed their whole life, their whole eating, their whole environment around them, but they have a farm that has been existing since 1952 in the family. And, you know, they rely, families rely on them. And, you know, I got a really big perspective about what is happening in the farming communities. And, um, but, you know, Andrew is, um, now I've said his name, but anyway, Andrew is very open to learning. What can I do? How can I change? Is it possible to change? You know, he was, him and his wife were brilliant. Like, I learned so much from them. Yeah, just so much. And, of course, I knew, I know Deb and Jim and I've known them, you know, for many tramps. So that was just like home base for me. They were just so nice mm-hmm. to have them them there. Um, and then we had a very young, um, beautiful young girl, 30 years of age. Yeah. Um, she always looked like something out of Africa. Just we all would look at her and go, <laughs> how did she do that? How did she make herself look so good and we look like grommets? <laughs> oh. Fashion and a style and oh my She's a fabulous thing, that one. Oh, she was just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful in every single way. Smart, intelligent, engineer, now masters in nutrition. Um, yeah, doing great things and poised, just yeah. She's wonderful and considering everything that's been going on in her life too. And, of course, you know, for our listeners it's hard because we can't really mention the names, but, you know, you, anyway. <laughs> anywho, anywho. Yeah. You'll, you'll hear from them when yeah. I do my interview with them and I just say first names and um, I, I would actually like to interview some of them because, you know, they, they have specialities in their own lives 
um, and I got to hear all about them and learn about them. We had so many in-depth conversations. It was really funny. We got on a bus, Karen, yeah. and um, we were going to an airport and um, apparently there was a debate happening in another room and oh. you ended up in the debate apparently. <laughs> Oh, dear, oh, dear. Well, you were in the I long think- distance. Remember, you were in the long distance debate. She's texting you in Africa, in Australia, asking you, I don't understand this debate. And so we had this amazing debate amongst all of us in the the van going to the airport. It was about an hour and a half away, the airport. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was an interesting debate. It was an interesting scenario about fate versus free will. And is your life designed for you or do you have free will and you can change it? So your answer was really good. Do you remember it? Do you remember? Um, I'm just trying to think of it now. Yes, Um, because I said she was talking about um, also like what happens when somebody loses a child. Like how how is that? Is that the the conversation? Mm, Yes, that was the conversation, yeah. Um, Just... (laughs) Yeah, um, just go if you go back to your message that you said to her. If you, yeah, if you have a platform, you put it on. How do you, uh, she says? Yes, she said it's easy to apply to an aspirational thing. How do you apply it to a mother who lost her baby? You know, the really um, messed up stuff. I've just kind of cleaned up the language there a little bit. Um, <laughs> I understand that it's out of our control at all this and it's a lesson to learn, but did they manifest that? Um, and those that are born into extreme poverty, like what we see here. And so I just sent her a message back and I said, um, you know, there are some answers that we, you know, there's some questions that we can't know the answers to because if we pretend we know the answers to them, we're making it up and it's just another belief system that's, you know, we've got enough of that. So there are some things that we don't have the, the answers to, but one thing that I do know for a fact is that everything, and I mean everything, is orchestrated for our awakening. Nothing is orchestrated for our debilitation. Nothing. And even though we may feel it's debilitating when we're affected by it um, and when we witness it or we see it suffering in another person or another human being, we have these mirror neurons in our brain which make us empathetic, so we almost feel the pain. So, you know, we can't, we can't understand or fathom how one life gets to be royalty and how another life lives in poverty and that they're losing their children. We don't know the answers to that, but what we do know is that for every human being there's an invitation for awakening and some of us are in more harsh circumstances like being blown up or suicide, and some of us are in not-so-harsh circumstances. But slipping on a banana peel is for our awakening. Stubbing our toe is for our awakening. Being destitute on the street is for our awakening. Everything is for our awakening so that we begin to see that we are not the product of our circumstances. We are actually that which is beyond our circumstances and that we're not the product of our body or the physicality, we are that which is beyond that. And I know that that is a very cryptic answer, but if a person is ready to look at what does that mean, what what is this thing that is me that is beyond my circumstances, beyond my experiences, beyond my physical body, what is that? 
And the minute you start to ask that question, you start to find the answers because it's a very deep question. And we can answer that question if you want to, but do you want to answer that question? Yeah, well, why not? Because you know, like, these were the conversations that come up when you're away from your home in a place that makes you question your lifestyle, what you're doing. And, and to say that these people are born into extreme poverty, <laughs> what poverty is that? And, like, I watch those um, Kalahari Bushmen giggle their way through the whole <laughs> expedition. They were laughing. They had so much fun. They were having a little chat with their little click sounds. You know, they, they, all, they do the click language. And then yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. see them do this little giggle, you know, and I thought they're happy. Yeah. They're not, you know, then poverty, poverty to me is not about wealth or, you know, what you have. Poverty to me I think is what you're talking about, Karen, is if you don't learn from your experiences in life and no matter what you're born into, and I know some people are, are not born into great circumstances, I understand that. Um, but to to look at what we saw, I, I think most of the circumstances, they seemed quite content. Well, you know, this is the thing, isn't it? It's all relative. So when somebody really well off looks at somebody in poverty, in poverty they feel sorry for them. But in actual fact, and, and in actual fact, that person to them, that's life. That's normal. And they have um, experiences that come from their way of life that we would never have. And we would never gain the deep appreciation and the deep connection that is so innate and so natural and normal to them. They don't even, it's not even a frame of reference. It's like the grass is green and they're connected to the earth. Same, same. You know, it's like they're not even thinking about it. They're not even questioning the meaning of life like those of us that, you know, are so disconnected from what's real are constantly questioning the meaning of life. They're not questioning what their purpose is here. We are constantly questioning our purpose. So you ask, you know, and I think you're spot on, we ask the question, who is ultimately more happy? Well, those that are in a more simple experience have a better chance of experiencing happiness because they're not so far removed from it. Mm. Whereas people like us, you know, our very experience of happiness, uh, sorry, our very pursuit mm. of happiness is the thing that keeps us from experiencing happiness because we're in constant pursuit of it. We never experience it because we're always looking for something more to make us happy or something else to make us happy, which means we never find it. Whereas those that don't have those constant external distractions. They know themselves inside out. They know that they're connected to everything. They understand harmony. They understand rhythm. They understand all of the ebbs and flows of what's life and death. And is there more to know than that in their experience of life? No. So that, you know, they, they, don't, they don't ask for more. They don't question for more yeah. because it's not their frame of reference, you know. So I think for us, it's knowing what is beyond my physical experiences, what is beyond my circumstances, what is beyond my life's lot, what is beyond my life's purpose. I am that, which means 
if I'm none of those things, what's left? If I take away my purpose, if I take away my personality and if I take away my physical body, am I still here? Like if I cut off my arm, am I still here? Yes, I am. If I cut off my left toe and my left leg, am I still here? Yes, I am. So I'm not in the body. I'm not the body. I'm more than that because you can cut off pieces of the body and I will still be here. So it's how we know ourselves. If we know ourselves as purely physical, then, of course, everything that's physical will have a huge impact on us. But when we know ourselves as the, um, the being that exists inside of the physical, then we can see experiences as simply serving a purpose for our awakening to that knowing. Does that make sense? You always go down a rabbit hole and there were oh. rabbit holes and many snake holes and many holes. <laughs> <laughs> many, many can holes. Oh, sorry. And you okay. went straight down each one of them. Did I see you with a meerkat on your arm? Yes. Oh, Cynthia, I would have died. Oh, what was happening is I was taking a photo. Like I was pretty close. I was on portrait mode. I was oh. taking a photo and obviously I was higher ground. <laughs> and oh, this is that just what it was? Snapped up me and I put my arm out thinking I don't want you on my head. So I put my arm out. I'm trying to twist my phone around to take a photo. Um, of this mere card on my arm, but I had um, slippery cloth, like a, um, like I had a jacket on that was a bit slippery, and he slipped off and fell and ran away. But thank goodness oh. Michelle got that photo. I just, I was just, I just mind blown that it was crawling up me. <laughs> oh, so gorgeous! I oh, know, I know. After going down your meerkat hole, we're now. On top of the <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I love that about our trips. Karen, I I always find we have these amazing conversations and that was not the only one. We had many, many conversations and and lots were about the food and the nutrition and, you know, like Wolverdans, how they did their nutrition and food. And so a lot of it was that, but we also got into, you know, your type of thing as well. And, And, of course, the oils, Kimmy's oils, I have to tell you. Everybody knew when somebody opened up a, a Kimmy oil and then it was passed around everybody because we were a bit smelly, you know. So, yes. I mean, who opened one of Kimmy's oils and then it was passed around and we'd all, we'd all put it on. So, and I wore, you know, that necklace you gave me, my infinity necklace? Yeah. Well, I wore that. It never came off me. Um, just to have you there. And for Kim, Kim gave me some earrings and I wore those earrings. So, you, beautiful. yeah, I didn't take my mum and sister this year. I took you to. Oh, you yeah. sweet, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, I, t- <laughs> I took you guys and I just kept you on me so that, you know, if what would Karen do or what would Karen say or what would Kim say or what would Kim do at this stage, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, those I thought that would all have to come about, but I just had a, an amazing crew. So, um, Oh, you're so blessed. It sounds like you've had the most spectacular time. Yeah, it it was in in more ways than mm. one. You know, the, the adventure was amazing. The experiences were amazing. The bonding with the um, you know, these people will be like our other trips. Yeah. They'll be in my life um, forever. Yeah, they will. They they really will. And especially 
Mrs. Lady Cave. I'm, I said to her, I'm coming to your Lady Cave. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, and, and, you know, and even, so I have to tell you about Penny. So Penny being gorgeous and 30 and young, we had her married off to everybody. It was hilarious. <laughs> um, but when they would say her name, so her real name is Penelope. Yeah. But they, they wouldn't say that. They'd say Penelope. Oh, Penelope. Penelope. So her name is now Penelope. Right. Right. I like it. I like it a lot. It fits. I can see that. (laughs) But we did. We married her off to the drama. We married, you know, it was really, really funny. Oh, that's gold. Oh, bless her little heart. (laughs) It was good. So, look, I, I, I won't go on because nobody wants to listen to somebody else's safari. But what... I really wanted us to talk about was the, you know, what the lessons that you learn when you, you go out of your life, go into an undeveloped country, see how other people live, you know, the connections that we all got, the lessons that we learned, the feelings that we got. Um, you know, I, I think that they are so valuable. Um, and, you know, our next trip is Ameri- is um, Switzerland where we're going to hike around Mont Blanc. And, you know, even though we're in a civilised, a more civilised, a, a developed country, I should say, not so much civilised because we're all civilised, but in a more developed country, we're still going to have those same things happening. Mm, absolutely. Um, you know, because we're doing 160 kilometres in 10 days. And 160 kilometres in 10 days is no mean feat in the Alps because that's where we're going to be. We're going to be in the Alps and we're going to cross through three countries. So we're going to have language barriers. Um, We're also going to have uh, one night will be in a, what do they call it, a refuge? Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Oh, dear. Yes, Karen. I'm prepping you for that one, okay? Thank you, love. Please, I'll be prepping you for the refuge. I'm going to need all the help I can get. Yeah. So, look, it it will be probably a little easier than Africa. Africa was full-on camping and adventures and flights and, like, little plane flights. And um, whereas this, we will, where we will be challenged is physically. And then, of course, you know when you're challenged physically, you're oh, actually yeah. challenged mentally so uh, and emotionally because, you know, when we did the Andes, there was a lot of emotion running, wasn't there? Oh, my goodness. Even New Zealand. Oh, you know, gosh. because it's, you're, you're, like you said, when the body is challenged like that, the mind starts to play. That, well, that's when the mind has its way with you and you've really got to, you know, you've really got to pull up the big guns. Yeah, and one of those days was, what, 30K? Did we do 30 Yeah, we like did. One day was 30 k yeah. That we was did. challenging. <laughs> oh, my God. Because <laughs> oh. it wasn't straight. It was up, down, and down, down, and beautiful views, and yeah. Yeah. But everybody was in pain, you know. Your legs mm. hurt, and it was, just, it was just excruciating. But it was the most self-revealing, mm. you know. And I think that that's, I think, like you said, Cindy, it's one of the, it's one of the reasons why we decided to do these hikes more so than doing, you know, conferences in a conference room because you learn more about yourself. The self-discovery and the internal adventure is amped up tenfold when you are experiencing Mother Nature firsthand and 
drawing on her energy and strength as you put yourself through your paces. And then also you discover when you actually get to the other side that you made it, you start to see, actually, I'm way more than what I think I am. I can do this. And you also realize what collective energy together creates in terms of giving you extra power and motivation and inspiration when you've got other people one to look up to because they're managing to do it like what I did I looked at Linda and I said she's doing this way better than me (laughs) but then also I had Melissa who never left my side when we were in New New Zealand Melissa and I were like wingmen for each Mm. other and I I really realized that I'm the person who never asks for help but when it's just there I realise how much I need it. And you kind of change. You really, you really change from these experiences. So, mm. And what have we got? Five seats left for – and it's, it's still two years yeah. away and I know you have a payment plan happening there. And we do. And, and I know that um, the African lot, we're all talking about it. So um, we, you know, we, we would just – love that everybody could come but we only have five seats left so yeah i know so we had 12 spots Mm -hmm. and we've only got five now so we when the last podcast came out when we spoke about um the mont blanc Mm. literally within a day we had five people book in and grab their seats Mm. so or seven sorry we've got seven people and i think that if anybody is even flirting with coming the best thing that you can do is go to karensmith.com forward slash UFC. So up for a chat, but without the A, so UFC. Go and check it out. You've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go and check out the website. Um, and if it's something that you've got more questions on, email me because that's my website. Go to the contact page and shoot a question through to me. I'm on my emails all the time. So I'll get back to you straight away. Because I know that once these seats are gone, that's this trip done. And for Europe, I think Europe is like a bucket list trip mm-hmm. for most people, especially, you know, to be hiking through three countries, but then to go on a gastronomical food <laughs> tour <laughs> through Italy with tomatoes and olive oils and basils and, oh, my goodness. Jesus. And oh. we're going to go to oh. some amazing places and learn so much about you know traditional foods um and traditional ways of making foods and not just pasta of course um i don't know if we will do a pasta one we may just look at all like you know the biggest um the biggest and oldest yogurt company is there they make traditional yogurt cultures so i'm trying to get a tour in there that's not easy um and parmesan i think parmesan parmesan is it Parmesan is not far from Como and so all of these things we will learn, um, you know, the, the traditional ways. And, you know, one of the questions I have is that why are we using, and I know, I know Karen, this is, you probably like this, but I'm not so sure about it. Hmm. Why are we using non-animal rennets in our cheeses? And what is a non-animal rennet? Why are we not using the traditional way we always made cheeses, which was, the milk went in the stomach of an animal because that's what carried our water and our milks and our whatever we were travelling with. And then that enzyme would curdle it and make it into a cheese. 
So, um, you know, I have all sorts of questions that I want to ask with cheese making now because you're starting to see yeah. not our traditional ways of making cheese. And um, so we'll learn how to make cheeses. Um, so all of that will be when we spend that time in Como initially. Um, we will still be doing um, some exercise. Um, that's what we found really hard with Africa is that we had a week of really good exercise because in Namibia there's not as many animals and you're not going to get eaten every time you step outside your tent. Yeah. <laughs> when we're in Botswana, you know, we weren't allowed out of our tents at all. They wouldn't let us out of the tent until they wrapped on. They put water in our bathroom. So lucky we had showers, toilets and a, and a basin um, in a tent. Can you believe this? It was just stunning. But um, they would wrap on our tent at 530 and then we were allowed half an hour to get ourselves ready. And then we were allowed to step out of our tent at six o'clock. Wow. So, yeah. So then we had a week of really on our butts, not a lot of, you know, exercise like we love to do. But I can tell you that Europe will be full of activities, but there will be options. So if someone chooses not to hike one day, they can take another option. So we want people to know that, if they still want to come, um, see, the thing as I see this is that you have two years to prepare for this. Absolutely. You know, and we're going to probably in the last six months, maybe Karen, we're going to start a program so that people can start to get fit. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. And we'll, put, we'll have lists of gear that you need to be prepared with. Yeah. And you'll have plenty of time to start shopping for that. Because I think if you don't already own hiking shoes, you kind of want to get those hiking shoes maybe 12 months to nine months, mm -hmm. you know, before you hike so that you can wear them in. But also finding the right shoe is like really important. So you need to be able to go around and try on the Salomons and the Merrells and all the different brands to find the right one for your foot because you're going to be in them for such a long time. It's because yeah, you and I found that, didn't we, Cindy, with our Merrells? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I had to wear mine in. I, I know that um, Ricky bought Keen and she walked in them and, and they were like slippers. She loved them. But I did take time with my Merrells to wear them in and, I, and that's all I have now is, is I have my beautiful Merrells and whenever I have to get rid of them and get a new pair because I've worn my other pair out, it's, it's hard. Yeah. So we, we'll discuss all of those things. So they have plenty of time. If they want a payment plan, they can pay it off. Um, and they've got plenty of time to get the gear. We'll be talking about all of that stuff. Next year, uh, I was talking to the Africa crew, and we have nothing planned for 2019, but what we might do is do something like we did in November, which, um, you know, we've done a, a hike that is, this is where we're going. You can come if you want. It's, it's you know, not highly organised like our other ones. Um, and we might do another one of those next year. And we were thinking about Hotham, Karen. Oh, that'll be fabulous. Yeah. We're thinking about doing just day hikes out, not big hikes. And just so we all go to Hotham or dinner plane, um, not in the winter. And we do the 22K hike out to Feathertop. So it'd be a really good test for how fit am I in order to do this Swiss, Switzerland, Italian, French, Alp around Mont Blanc, um, you know, beautiful walk. So we'll probably do that, you know, a year before and 22K high in the mountains, hiking another mountain will be a really good test. Um, and the good thing about it is if you get to 5K and you know you're not going to make 22K, you can just walk back 
and then you've done 10K. Um, so it's a hike out and a hike back, although there is a hike that's about 30-something K that we could also do yeah. um, that goes out to Mount Fife, and Mount Fife, Mount Feathertop, Fife's in Kaikoura, New Zealand, out to Mount Feathertop, and then you go down a ridge, up another ridge, and end up back at Hotham. So that's it's a little bit more taxing, but, you know, well, there's, I think there's definitely going to be people who will be ready to do that. Yeah, I think so. So that's my aim for next year is that I'll I'll set something up like that because, you know, I'm, I you know I go to Hotham every year, I hike every year, I know all the hikes and I can be, you know, the leader. I can be the person that says, right, this is what we're doing, this is when you need to be ready, this is how we're going to do it. And um, we might go to Black Barn Farms. Um, they don't know I'm saying this, but I think we'll go to Black Barn Farms. It's a great uh, organic farm nearby. And we were thinking about going to Cobram Estates, which is an olive, um, just Cobram Olives, which is the biggest in Australia. Yeah. So we thought we might do a few little um, food tours down in the valley, um, either on the way or on the way back. We won't do it once we're at Hotham. We're there. We will just hike out of there and we'll do some stunning hikes spargos we'll go to huts old huts we'll just yeah it'll be and there'll be places to have coffee unlike africa (laughs) (laughs) oh my god there's an incentive there's an incentive that's to prepare you for the alps so and that will only be offered to our um people who are coming our regular hikers and our people that have come before yeah and our people who are coming that won't be offered to anybody else. So not able to, not open to the public. No, I just find that, you know, I just, yeah, if they've done one of our hikes before, then please come. Um, And we'll we'll make sure that that goes out onto the websites and all all the Facebook groups so that everybody knows what we're doing. Yes. But I think for anybody who's thinking of coming, Mm -hmm. that is a really great incentive because they're actually one getting to know all of us before we hike. And so then you start to feel a bit more comfortable because I know that that's something that people get a bit nervous about when they think, oh, God, I'm about to go and spend 18 days with some strangers. What if I don't like them? So (laughs) you get a chance to get to know all of us so that you feel a little bit more comfortable with it. Um, But then also you've got some hikes already scheduled in that you can start training for because I think that's really inspiring to know, okay, so I've got some milestones to meet here. Um, along the way so that then when you get there, you're not so nervous thinking that you won't be able to do it. Cause I know that that's another barrier for people is to think, what if I can't do this, but we'll help you. We've got training that's going to be put into the Facebook group. We will do the hikes like Cindy's suggesting here. And also too, if you can't hike on a certain day, cause you're hurt or injured or you just don't feel up to it, there will be another option where you can potentially go and do some sightseeing and meet us at the next lodge because we're hiking from lodge to lodge. Yeah. And so I think also just before we finish up, Karen, is yeah. is I find, like I watched Linda, um, mm. who did our very first, she came to Peru with us and she did New Zealand with us. I didn't have her in Africa because she was in Europe. <laughs> um, but I watched Linda really um, prepare for the Andes. And when you see somebody, I know everybody did, but it was just, there was something about Linda and her preparation for the Andes. And I I think when you do that Mm. and you have that goal, you've just become phenomenal. Like she was phenomenal. 
Um, and she, she prepped and she prepped properly. Whereas I've seen other people who really, really wanted to do a hike. Um, and she knows who I'm talking about in Africa and she didn't prep. No matter how hard I tried to tell her what she needed to do and she knew what she needed to do and she didn't end up doing the whole hike. And oh, I'm really? Yeah, and I'm sure deep inside she's going, oh. and I said to her, well, you did well for what you prepped. She said, oh, I didn't prep at all. And I went, oh. oh. So, you know, don't, don't do that. Prep. Get yeah. ready. And, it's, and you just feel so amazing. <laughs> Sorry, I had to just put that in there. I think it's really important that this is a goal, an amazing goal at that. I think so too. And, you know, like Linda, she's gone on to maintain her fabulousnessity, by the way. You know, she still hikes all the time. She's still, you know, she's kept, um, you know, she's really kept herself really fit and fantastic. So I think it's a great way if, you've not, if you're not fit, like one of the ladies who's joining us, she's, you know, she hasn't really done anything for a while since she's had her kids actually. And so now she's got to start from scratch. Um, so, you know, but it's what, what a great incentive. What a wonderful incentive to get yourself up and moving. Yeah. Anyway, well, look, for you guys who are interested and you want to have um, an experience like what Cindy and everybody in Africa has had, then just go to the website. It's Karen Smith, Smith spelled C-A-R-R-E-N-S-M-I-T-H dot com forward slash U-F-C. So up for a chat. So we, um, I think that brings us to the end of the podcast now, Cindy. What do you reckon? I think so. I think we've... We've talked all we can talk and, and Miss Kimmy had to go because she's on a radio interview because yes. her book's doing so well, um, which is The so Art of Self-Love. <laughs> so, so she us. Mm. Well, we'll have to do a podcast with Kimmy too and then we've still got to do a podcast with Spirit Hive too. So we've got so much to tell you guys. Mm. <laughs> we do. Well, thank you for a wonderful catch-up, Cindy. It's been amazing to hear all about your trip. Honestly, I just so wish I was there, but I'm so glad I wasn't. <laughs> I'm kind of torn, you know, you know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> the bestie in me wishes I was there, but the princess in me is kind of glad, you know, you know. <laughs> Everyone will know what we're talking about. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, what a fabulous podcast. Guys, I hope you've loved it as much as we've loved bringing it to you today. It's been so, so fabulous. Please, if you're flirting with coming with us on a hike, this is how we roll. Go to my website karensmith.com forward slash UFC. So for everybody who has been tuned into today's podcast, if you have any questions for our beautiful Cindy, go to our Facebook page at all the w's.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat. And Cindy will post her beautiful photos on our up for a chat page for you guys as well so that you can feel like you were there with us um, when she was in Africa. If you've got any other questions, by all means, head on over to all the w's.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. And now make sure that you join us here next week on up for a chat and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. And we're going to see you around the mountains to soon. See everybody. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Foster Wellness Couch presenter, endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.